Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. The last announcement um, is I'm going to share an important announcement about the life of our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church. And if you were with us two weeks ago or you get our weekly emails, um, you would have heard us announce that our ECC annual meeting was coming up. It was this past weekend in Omaha, Nebraska. And the biggest um, thing on the agenda was the involuntary dismissal of First Covenant Church in Minneapolis. So I'm going to pause and give a little bit of the background of this um, and then head into the decision. So... The Evangelical Covenant Church, our denomination, um, is congregational in church governance, which means that while each church is individually self-governing, we're also guided and governed by certain decisions made at our denominational annual meeting. These decisions are made by voting delegates that are sent by each member church. So at Genesis, we were allotted two delegates based on our size, and we sent both. They were Deb Link and Linda Amos were our delegates at this meeting. The delegates at the annual meeting vote on uh, various topics such as approving the annual budget and electing denominational leaders and then matters of policy. So this year, for the first time in our denomination's 134-year history, the executive committee of the ECC recommended that First Covenant Church of Minneapolis be deemed out of harmony because of their stated LGBTQ inclusion policy, which includes hosting and performing same-sex weddings if asked to do so. This policy was created by members of First Covenant after many congregational conversations about how they could best serve and love their congregation in downtown Minneapolis. Covenant guidelines currently prohibit ordained clergy to perform same-sex weddings and churches from hosting same-sex weddings. The delegates were asked to vote on the involuntary dismissal of First Covenant at this annual meeting. So overall, the delegates did vote to dismiss First Covenant. The vote was 775 in support of dismissal and 256 against. Deb and Linda both voted against the dismissal of First Covenant. So we want to remember a couple of things in this moment, and these are the same um, speaking points that Steve mentioned a couple of weeks ago because I think it's important to reiterate those. First is we believe at Genesis West that Christians who take the Bible seriously can interpret the Bible differently on matters of LGBTQ plus inclusion. I've personally had a number of conversations around this topic with a lot of members of our community and have seen both extremes and everywhere in between of beliefs. And we believe that you can hold the differences. The second is the covenant and the church is full of really good people who are deeply divided and heartbroken 
over this and how to proceed. And so we want to resist the temptation to demonize either the covenant denomination or First Covenant Minneapolis. As individuals, we want to be rooted in love through which we can hold and communicate deep convictions while also extending real grace and freedom to those with whom we disagree. The third point is that even before this denominational vote was announced, um, the elder team recognized a need to have significant congregational conversations around LGBTQ plus and Genesis. As I mentioned, we've heard a number of people have questions and um, debates on this, and we want to make sure that we are making room and space for those conversations to happen. One of our seven core values is conversation, and so we think it's important to step into conversations around this and to seek more clarity on how we can love the LGBTQ plus community in the name of Jesus. So there are a few ways that we want to hear our congregation's response to this. The first is, as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, we will be holding a town hall in July. The date for that is going to be Sunday, July 14th. So that's two weeks from today. Picnic next week, the following week, Sunday, July 14th. We'll hold a town hall after the service. And the purpose of that is truly to hear your thoughts, questions, um, feedback on this particular topic. And it really is, our agenda is to listen. So it will not be the elder team stating a lot of things, it will truly be you come with your thoughts and reactions and we wanna hear that. The second is um, if you would prefer to send your thoughts via email, you can send them to Steve, you can send them to me, anyone on the elder team. You can also email them to hellowest at Genesis. Um, the email's on the back of your liturgy and we will get that to um, the whole of the elder team to hear your thoughts. So with that, um, I wanted to pause before we go into um, the scripture reading and, and offer up a prayer for this situation and for, um, for all that it's impacted. First Covenant is here in Minneapolis. I know a lot of people in our congregation have friends that attend um, First Covenant. And it's, the denomination is 134 years old, and First Covenant was a founding member of the denomination. So this really hits, um, hits hard for them. They're worshiping today, um, and I would like us to join in prayer as we, as we lift them up. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we give thanks for First Covenant and for Pastor Dan and for the people that worship there this morning, the people that have worshiped there in the past and that will worship there in the future. We ask for your presence at First Covenant this morning and for your presence as they discern and move forward. We pray for the ECC leaders. We pray for wisdom and guidance. We pray for unity and for peace within our church, for the ECC, our church at Genesis, and the church universal. Lord, I thank you for the way that people seek after you, and I think that you hold all of us in this. Amen. From there, as we continue on with our service, Kirsty is coming up to read the scripture. The reading this morning is from Galatians chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. 
For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. And what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you were led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be with you. Everybody. Omaha, and uh, I'll have a few comments, just a few, uh, literally, uh, within my message. But I want to say a couple things. One is, we shared a document that's it's a it's a lengthy document, gang. It's seven pages, but it's really good. It's written by Hannah Andre, assistant professor at North Park. I took a class from Hannah. She is a tough cookie, but I got an A in her class, gang. <laughs> I worked really hard, and I'm not a good student. I will tell you that. Uh, but it's a really good paper explaining the history of how the covenant has historically understood the idea of the authority of Scripture paired with the freedom to disagree on non-essential matters. So I encourage you to get, grab that if you'd like to. Secondly, our very own Danny Cook of preaching and WCCO fame is preaching at Genesis East this morning. So let's give it up for Danny. Let's, let's pray for him. Uh, their service is at 10, I think, so... He may be still preaching. If he is, he's in trouble. But uh, he's probably done with preaching. And so uh, we said to each other, because we're preaching on the same passage, that we were going to not uh, compare notes beforehand, but we were going to compare notes afterwards. So it's going to be fun. We'll see. Uh, uh, and then I think it'd be fun for you to listen to his message as well as mine. Wouldn't that be fun? So you'll get a fuller picture. Uh, Thirdly, a couple of you have asked online regarding First Covenant and their future. Some of you have asked, like, are they going to continue as a church? Do they get to keep their building? Yes, they get to keep their building and their property. Yes, they will continue as a church, just not as a covenant church. So I wanted to make that clear, too. Make sense? Okay, uh, before we dive in, um, deep breath in and let it out. We are going to talk about freedom in Christ today because that's what the lectionary led us right into, Galatians 5. So I hope this is a hopeful, helpful, and healing conversation no matter where you are at regarding how you interpret the scriptures 
on LGBTQ matters. This message is not about LGBTQ. This message is about the nature of how Paul saw freedom in Christ. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Uh, God, thank you so much for the gift of the Bible and how we can engage with it generation after generation. Thank you for the robust conversations we can have about you and about the nature of the church and the kingdom. Thank you for the kindness that we can offer each other as we listen and even as we disagree. Uh, Thank you for the unity that we can experience even in our disagreement. And thank you for the future, which you hold together no matter how much we might mess it up. You hold it together and you're leading us to a future that is beautiful. Amen? All right, what is the book or the letter to the Galatians all about? Uh, Paul was convinced that in Christ, people were free from following the law and like getting circumcised, etc., as a way to get right with God. Paul would say something like this, the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. He didn't actually say that, but that's, that's how I would categorize his theology. The gospel is Jesus, faith in Christ, plus nothing. You don't add certain requirements to faith in Jesus in order to be uh, justified by God. It's through grace by faith. The Judaizers were a sect of Christians who followed Paul around. Like Paul would be preaching in a certain city or certain church, then he would leave, and then the Judaizers Judaizers would come in, and they would probably say something very polite about Paul, like, Wow, the guy's kind of short, and he's not a very good speaker, but man, he's got some good theology, doesn't he? Really good guy. Now, he's good except for a couple things. He sort of watered down the gospel in, a certain, in certain areas, because it's not really true that it's Jesus plus nothing. You really, in order to really be a true believer, you also have to be circumcised and do other things. And so the, the early followers were confused after they heard Paul's message and then the sect of Christianity called the Judaizers. And so Galatians is Paul's response to the Judaizers in which he, he paradoxically fuses freedom with slavery in order to further explain his view of freedom in Christ and critique theirs. So I'll play question number one. What is a paradox? It's kind of like irony, right? You, you know what it means, but it's hard to define. What is a paradox? It's something that sounds conflicting. Thanks, Nate. Okay, it can only be true by being false. Yes. What else? Two true things that oppose each other. Yes. The dictionary defines it this way, seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. Example from Gandhi, whatever you do will be insignificant, but it's very important that you do it. Oscar Wilde, I can resist anything but temptation. That's a good one. Martin Luther, uh, in Galatians, was sort of Martin Luther's letter that he Uh, developed most of his theology that led to the Reformation, said this, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none, 
And a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Paradox. So today I want to talk about, right from Galatians 5, the three paradoxes of freedom in Christ. Number one, we, pay, we get paid what we do not earn. We get paid what we do not earn. Two, we are wrong when we insist we are right. And three, we are controlled by what we attempt to control. So I'll say those again. We get paid what we do not earn. We are wrong when we insist we are right, and we are controlled by what we attempt to control. These are what I call the three paradoxes of freedom in Christ right from the text. So let's start at the beginning. We get paid what we do not earn. This comes from the letter to the Ephesians, uh, verses that if you grew up in the church, you know quite well. Also written by Paul, you have been saved by grace through faith. This doesn't happen on your own initiative. It is God's gift. It isn't on the basis of works or following the rules or following the law, so no one is able to boast about it. This is the explanation. God has made us what we are, and God has created us in King Jesus for the good works that he prepared ahead of time as the road we must travel. That's a translation that's a little different from what's in your liturgy. It's from the Kingdom New Testament translated by N.T. Wright. But I thought it was interesting to see it in a little different way. And so I would define grace this way. Despite everything, God is on your side. Despite everything, God is on your side. Now that's a paradox in and of itself too, because if it's true for you, (laughs) that means it's true for the person that you don't want to be God, God to be God on their side, right? So how can that be true? Is God on everybody's side? What does that mean? Well, it certainly doesn't mean that we all agree on the same things regarding doctrine. And it doesn't even mean that everybody chooses to follow Christ. Freedom demands freedom to reject Christ, amen? If you can't, it can't really be freedom if you don't have the freedom to reject Christ. And that would be my definition of hell, giving someone the freedom to reject Christ and then living out that reality. And anyone who wants that gets it. Conversely, anyone who wants unity with Christ gets it. How? How is that true? Again, we get paid what we do not earn. The word grace that's in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that's also in Luke 1, 30, when an angel met a 14-year-old young woman and told her she was going to be pregnant with the Christ. To which she said, wait, what? And then the messenger said, the angel said, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor, grace with God. Same word. Mary, despite everything, God is on your side. Despite the fact that you're a 14-year-old girl who has no honor, God is on your side. Despite the fact that people are going to really question you, and question the legitimacy of this pregnancy, God is on your side. Despite the fact that you're going to live 
You're going to outlive your son and watch him die, and it will pierce your soul with sorrow. God is on your side. Despite the fact that you'll see your son rejected by religious people, Mary, God is on your side. Because why? Because God has found favor with you. God has graced you. God has given you what you did not earn. God has paid you what you could not earn. There's a funky parable. Do you guys remember the parable that Jesus told about the workers in the field? So there's this work to be done, and, and the, the guys go to whatever area that the workers congregate in at 5 in the morning. They get a truckload. They set him to work. They said, hey, we're going to pay you this amount to work all day, and then there's still need more. And then noon, he goes back. Or maybe it's 9 a.m., and then noon, he goes back. And then at 5 o'clock, you know, an hour before the end, they still need workers. They go back. And these guys come back, and they probably you know, have enough time for a cup of coffee and maybe to turn over one spade full of dirt. And then when it comes time to be paid, they all get paid the same amount, right? Now, if, you're, if you've been working for 12 hours, and you get paid the same amount as someone who's been working for one cup of coffee and one spade full of dirt, you're feeling what? No, you're, you're Christians. You're like, that's cool. <laughs> uh, it sounds great in theory, right? Until it makes you mad that someone else gets what they didn't earn. Um. And then faith, that's grace, getting paid what we don't earn. And then faith is, I would define it this way, trusting God with your life and your future. The same way you would trust the pew that you sat in, that it wasn't going to fall apart after you sat on it. Tommy Boy style. Could have done without that. Mother Teresa said this, I'm a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. I'm a little pencil, one of many, in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. Don't you love that? Like, that's such a beautiful picture. I'm not the love letter, <laughs> you know, in its entirety. I didn't write it. I'm not the paper, I'm just a little pencil. There's a beautiful humility in that. So we get paid what we don't earn. Secondly, we are wrong when we demand we are right. So this is from Galatians 5, 13 through 15, which Kirsty just read. And so I'll read it again. When God called you, my dear family... He called you to make you free, but you mustn't use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Rather, you must become each other's servants through love. For the whole law is summed up in one word, namely this, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite each other and devour each other, watch out. You may end up consuming each other. So the word serve... Um, you must become each other's servants. Do loss, 
there's two ways to understand the word doulos. And the first way is because the word is used, uh, do you remember the parable of the prodigal son? Most of you do. There's two sons and a father. It really should be called the parable of the father, the son, and the other son. <laughs> or the parable of the you insert yourself into whatever character you most identify with on this given day. Well, the older son, when he gets angry because the younger son receives a feast and receives uh, the welcome back from the father, says this, I have been your doulos. I have been your servant the whole time. But it's kind of like, and he said, but you never gave me a feast. You never even roasted a goat in my honor. And you kind of got to feel for this guy a little bit, don't you? Like any firstborn, we always just obnoxiously use the Enneagram in, in a way that is just so clicky and obnoxious. But if you know it, any Enneagram ones out there? Like, yeah, you kind of get the older son. You know, he's worked hard. And it's not fair. And the thing is, it isn't fair. True story, not fair. Parable of prodigal son, like the opposite of fair. So there's a way of serving that's begrudgingly, you know? You know how to do that? Yeah. <laughs> Amber, I want to kind of bring you up right now and ask you to tell a story, but, you know, it's like, hey, did you notice that I folded all the laundry and did the dishes and? You know what I mean? You ever, you ever felt that, what's that? And made dinner. And made dinner. Have you ever, okay, Amber, I mean, this is now your sermon. <laughs> you got yeah, Or, I mean, to be totally like, you know, whatever. Well, I, you know, earned the money, whatever. When you have to announce how you've served, guess what? You're, you're, you're something. Uh, but it's going to lead to biting, and e biting each other and devouring each other <laughs> and consuming each other. So, but there's another way of serving that's more like, and again, I mean, using Mother Teresa is like almost unfair. It's like, of course, Mother Teresa, you would use her as an example of serving. Like, okay, so let's throw her out, you know, because she was clearly given some, some dispensation of grace to serve in that way. But have you ever, and I bet you have, it just might take... But like, just, just found yourself serving in whatever way because you want to, because it's just like in you and you want to give. Uh, and it's really not based out of trying to earn something or trying to quid pro quo something. You've probably done that too. And if you have, it's probably because you've received that and you've felt and you've received a free gift from someone, what you didn't deserve. And uh, so serving each other in love, um, there's a nuance there, right? Jesus said this, I lay my life down of my own accord. Remember when he said that? No one makes me do it, not even my father. I do it because I choose to. 
because I love the people I'm doing it for. I mean, that's pretty powerful. Um, it's interesting to me that we are wrong when we demand that we are right. In terms of the family, Paul calls my dear family. Don't bite each other. Don't devour each other. Don't destroy each other. Uh, husbands, wives, partners. You know that moment when you're about to say that thing you know you shouldn't say, you know it's the wrong thing to say, you know it's taking it too far, and you say it anyway? That's biting and devouring each other. Um, when it comes to Christians and doctrine, there's a kind of self-righteousness that is so ugly that it's disgusting. On the progressive side, the self-righteousness typically comes out in terms of, you bigot, you homophobe, you, for believing that, you are the worst person in the world ever, and I hate you and your ancestors and your children, and you can never be good. And I think on the right side or the conservative side sometimes, it's you heretic. You don't believe in the Bible. You say you do, but you don't. How could you possibly say that you believe in the Bible? And so family of Christ, how do we deal with disagreement? How do we hold firm convictions and not be wishy-washy about what we believe? but also extend to one another freedom and trust to interpret the Bible differently. That takes great humility. And these are my comments, and they will be few, about my involvement in the annual meeting uh, in the covenant. I observe way too much self-righteousness in that meeting at the microphone. I felt it myself, I'm not exempting myself from that. But on the, on the side of the folks that voted the church to be out, I found an interesting conflation with um, no longer was First Covenant on trial for being out of harmony with the position of the covenant. They, were, they, they became on trial for being out of harmony with the scriptures, and that's what's painful for me. A denomination can have a position. A denomination can uphold the position. But when the denomination is founded on the freedom to disagree, on passionate points of disagreement, and essentially the reasons when it comes to the debate are you don't hold true to the scriptures, that is, we're wrong when we demand we're right. And I know it plays on both sides. I know it does. But I think that's why I echo what Laura said earlier. When, when it comes to things we disagree about, non-essentials, we would say, can we as a church agree that we will listen, that we will not demand we are right, that we will not pound our fist on the table about this is what the Bible says no matter what. Because we all read it with our own lenses of experience and tradition and our own belief and our own biases. And the more we can say, I don't know, but here's what I think. I don't agree, but I want to learn more. I was having a tough morning <laughs> at the annual meeting and some guy came and found me who voted differently than I did 
and he, at, at the covenant, and he a covenant credentialed clergy, and he sat down and listened and cried, and we talked, and it was beautiful. Neither one of us, I don't think, were demanding to be right. C.S. Lewis said this, it is Christ himself, not the Bible, who is the true word of God. The Bible read in the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers and the Holy Spirit will bring us to Christ. So first paradox, we get paid what we do not earn. Second paradox, we are wrong when we demand we are right. Third paradox, we are controlled by what we attempt to control. So this is the last few verses of Galatians 5 in in the lectionary text. Live by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. By contrast, and then there's a whole list of things, remember? Carousing. You know, and there's all kinds of, there's a big list. And you can look through them and maybe check off the things that you think, oh, yeah, well, no, maybe not that, ooh, that, and that. Uh, But that's not the point. The point of Galatians 5 is not to say do the good things and don't do the bad things. It's in Christ we are set free from trying to control white-knuckling our desires or control others in their desires, but to live by the Spirit, which gives us the freedom, and the result is the fruits of the Spirit, which are... um, Oh... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there's no law against such things. All those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. That's Galatians 5, 22 through 25. So this phrase, don't, be, don't gratify the desires of the flesh, okay? Go. Don't. Think, think of all of them. Really think of all of them. I mean, get them firmly in your mind. Now, don't do it. Don't. I mean, no. If you, you try to attempt to control that, you'll just, it'll just rebound back on you, and you'll, woo, you'll just cycle back and forth between a kind of white-knuckling, abstaining, and a kind of, well... I gave in once, so I'll give in the next 50 days, because why not? That's um, a kind of law-based understanding of what it means to be in Christ. It's trying hard versus letting go. What would it look like to say to another person, I am completely out of control in this area, and I don't know how to get any control, and I don't even know if I ever can, or if I even want to. then you might need God. I mean, consider that. You might need the power of God through Christ to deliver you from that. I mean, that's the gospel, amen? People who, in my experience, have real love, real joy, real peace, real patience, real kindness, real generosity, and it's not fake, real faithfulness, real gentleness, real self-control, have come to peace with the paradox of freedom. They've given up trying to earn God's favor. They've given up needing to be right. They've given up trying to control people 
or themselves or God, and they've given themselves over to the Spirit leading them where the Spirit will lead them. And that's a paradox. So brothers and sisters, may we live understanding that we get paid what we do not earn, that we are wrong when we demand we are right, and we are controlled by what we attempt to control. The gospel is not about control. It's about receiving the gift of grace from God through the Spirit who will lead us into all truth. Amen? Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions, questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.